CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And on today's show, we're gonna dive into some Oregon football recruiting discussion and some long-term projections of this Oregon football team where things currently stand with the Oregon Ducks. But first, I want to remind you guys, we are offering 50% off an annual VIP membership as part of our 10-year anniversary sale. Runs through the entire month of August. Get billed $53.70 one-time payment for a year's worth of DuckTerritory.com and VIP membership. Uh, That's a savings if you compare that to a month-to-month payment, you're, you're paying $4.48 essentially each month opposed to the $9.95 regular price. So huge savings there. Inside Scoop, you get access to all of 24-7 Sports' team sites so you can read all the content, uh, expert analysis, analysis and opinion on all things Oregon Ducks recruiting uh, and all the other sports and all the other teams within the college landscape that 24-7 sports covers, which is basically everybody. Um, Eric, we're, we're, we've made this Monday show a football-centric, a recruiting-centric one, and kind of looking long-term, big picture um, of the Oregon football program and looking at this group. And I, I look at the, the, the position group that I think has the most intrigue or maybe the couple positions that have the most intrigue right now for me from a long-term projection of where this group is headed is the backfield within the offense um, in particular quarterback and running back because I feel like this group is incredibly loaded with a ton of options and we don't know if every one of those guys at running back uh, and if any one of those guys at quarterback if all of them are going to be superstars but for the first time in a long time it really feels like both position groups have a lot of options and have a lot of on paper talent that things should be viewed upon in a very positive light down the road. But is that actually the case in your eyes? I think it is. Um, I think the the obvious thing here is that we know a lot more about what Oregon has at running back, at least from a on field perspective than we do at quarterback. Um, We still have a lot of questions at quarterback and I don't know when those get answered, but um I think you look at the quarterback position, you think there's a ton of talent there with Tyler Shuck, with Jay Butterfield, Kale Mellon, Anthony Brown on the roster whenever they play their season. Um, I think Ty Thompson upside there is huge, but just none of those guys have proven themselves in green and yellow yet. So to me, there's, I think, a lot of optimism that that's going to be a strong position group, but they just haven't proven it yet. And the difference is at running back, you look at Verdell, Dye, um, and even Cyrus, those three guys have, have already proven themselves at this level over the course of the last couple of years. I actually think they're kind of at different points, but I think the, the one common between the two is I think there is, like you said, a lot of depth there and a lot of talent there. Um, I just view them a little bit differently because I look at the running backs and I go like Verdell's run for a thousand yards, two consecutive years. Dye's had two consecutive seasons over 600 yards and, and 
Hibibilikio has like 17 touchdowns in two seasons. So the, the three of those guys have proven they can do this at a very high level. The quarterback room is completely different. Um, I will say, though, that, you know, when we do see these guys come on the field, I think – and, 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 and um, I guess on the caveat will be it'll take a couple of games for me, us to know exactly what they have with Shuck probably. I don't think you're going to come away from a Colorado opening game um, or maybe even a second game against Washington State knowing full well. Maybe we will. Maybe it'll be instantaneous of like, holy crap, holy cow, this guy's amazing. Um, but I do think there's a little bit of a question mark there. But I, ultimately, I, I think if you look at the position groups, they do feel the healthiest they've been in a while. And I think I'd probably go back to when you had Marcus Mariota with a couple of those young, exciting running backs, his, his junior season back in the 2014 season as probably the last time I felt this confident about the upside of the position, you know, and, and I know it's that's kind of be- flipped, right? Like, yeah, exactly. It's exactly not to cut you off, but it just feels like th- this version is the running backs and the young players are the quarterbacks. That's exactly kind of the comparison I was going to make. If you looked at that 2013, 14 time where you had Mariota with a couple of really exciting young running backs and Thomas Tyner, Royce Freeman, he gave Joe Byron Marshall in there. He ended up moving to wide receiver, but you had some optimism because there's just a lot of dudes there. Um, I think there's an upside for this group to be very similar, um, but we just need to learn a little bit more about quarterback. I do wonder um, how much long-term I, – I, I wonder like, when, when football is eventually played, how, how quickly will we know about a Sean Dollars or a Javon Wilson or a Trey Benston? Yeah. Um, Three, three guys, all of them are freshmen. Um, Wilson and, and Dollars are redshirt. Trey Benson is going to be a true freshman. But just of will, how long will it take for us to know if, if one of those three guys is the dude? You know, for, for whenever Verdell, die and Cyrus either go pro or graduate or leave the school, um, that that's I think that's only my concern that I have with the backfield is um, how long out will Oregon have a, a good feel for where one of those guys is at and if they can kind of assume the mantle when the upperclassmen move on. I think I, that, that's a good point, Matt. And I do look at that and think this is a big year from my perspective of okay, you've got three juniors that are all in the same class. That's CJ could go after the end of the 2020 season, he could stay through 2021 and the three of them would leave. But after 2021, you have to have an idea of what you have at Oregon. And I do think getting some reps for the three you mentioned, the three red shirt slash true freshmen that'll be on the roster. You, you want to see a little bit of that this fall and have an idea of that. But ultimately I think it's difficult to juggle those reps. And I think it's going to be a thing where if one of those young guys can't work their way into the rotation, they won't work their way into the rotation. And so I think, my perspective is almost like if we get six weeks into the season and we haven't really seen any of those three guys, to me at least, that's not a great sign that they've shown that they deserve that right to be on the field. Um, so I think if you get midway through this, this 2020 season and you haven't seen any of those guys, maybe then you start going like, oof, these guys can't push their way into at least the rotation a little bit. Maybe that is cause for concern. But even then you could say you don't have all of 2021 more than likely to, to find a replacement. Maybe not. Maybe CJ goes after 2020, but uh, my perception is you, you've got a decent idea, hopefully this year of what you've got. And then you've got hopefully all of 2021 to kind of have it all fall into place. Shifting to the defensive side of the football. Um, I, I look at 
one position group that I am very high on is the short-term and the long-term futures of Oregon's defensive line because Jordan Scott and Austin Folio are back for their senior seasons. And I think it's fair to say both those guys in some capacity have a future in the NFL. Um, it's it's going to argue of, are they practice players? Are, are they guys that, that get picked up late in the draft? Are they guys that get picked up middle of the draft? Is there a potential of one of them becoming a, an early round selection? But regardless, I think they have a future in the NFL. It's just uh, how bright. Kayvon Thibodeau, he's going to be a potential number one pick in the 2020 NFL draft. Um, that for sure is certain. So you look at the immediate future and you say to yourself that this group is, is pretty loaded. They've got three guys that you can safely say are on the NFL radar in some different kind of capacity. But then behind them, I look at this group and think, boy, there could be, there could be a couple other guys, three or four guys that once given the chance could, could put themselves into that same type of discussion point, maybe not number one overall pick, but NFL caliber. Do you look at this group as, maybe the, the most complete short-term, long-term projection-wise position group in which, from a recruiting standpoint, maybe they don't really need to, to send a huge focus on this group because it's pretty locked in. I think I'd say secondary is maybe better short and long-term, but defensive line's not that far behind. And I think the thing, you ran through the guys that you feel good about, and I think you've got great depth behind. I, I just feel like you've got four players that are pretty solid right now in Thibodeau, Scott, follow you and then I'm Popo Amave at nose tackle and, and I think you feel really good about him being whenever Jordan Scott is not playing football at Oregon that you've got Popo as his replacement at nose tackle it just you need something else to pop up there for me to feel quite as good as I feel about the secondary because I look at the secondary and go like you got guys that aren't starting who I we, we know can start because they've started before you've got a guy like Mikhail Wright who's arguably a first round talent probably going to be a first round second round talent when he goes pro and he's not even really in the starting lineup Bennett Williams a Juco similar thing so I look at the secondary and go like I think I'd probably give them the nod over the defensive line in terms of the best short-term and long-term combination we should say the best long-term combination probably is a linebacker just given what they have there um, this defense is stacked so you're asking me to pick between some loaded groups I just think the thing with the defensive line from a long-term perspective and I do feel good short-term is just what happens behind those four players I mentioned earlier. Um, what happens with Brandon Dorless, who we thought looked great last year at times, but needs, I think you want to see what he can do, maybe an expand, expanded role this year. Um, guys like Christian Williams, Keon Ware Hudson, and Sawabe Pote from uh, the 2019 class who all redshirted last year. We need to see what they've got from then, them. And then in 2020, um, a bunch of guys we've never seen on campus and seen how they played, I think, namely led by Jason Jones and ICL BC, that's a bunch of bodies here that we're going to have to work through. So I think I have optimism they'll find the bodies. To me, it's more like it's not if they're going to figure out it's who's going to be those players long term um, because I just think there's so much talent there, but there's just not a lot of clarity about who that next wave is exactly going to be. And I think that's one of the things hopefully we get to see if slash when we see fall practice and the same thing for a season. Yeah, I, I look at this D-line group, and, and, and like I said at the beginning, I, I feel pretty confident that there'll be a couple guys that emerge once given the opportunity to, to be NFL-caliber guys. Now, I, I think the question becomes, 
does Oregon find a way before Kayvon Thibodeau leaves Oregon, whether that's as a graduate or an early, tra- you know, early entry into the NFL draft, do they find a guy that's first-round talent to replace him along the defensive line? Because I don't know if there's a guy on this roster that once he leaves, you can say he's the next first-rounder uh, at that position group. Like, like let's, let's real quick, let's look at offensive line. Like, Penny Sewell's projected number one pick or top three, top five type caliber guy, um, without a doubt. But I think you could also then say Stephen Jones is a guy – who, with given you know the opportunity, could develop himself into a first-round offensive lineman. I think you can say the same thing about Malasala Bumabe Lalu, um, and you could maybe even say that about Jonah T. Of you know they've got a couple guys on that roster in which, if they live up to expectations, they're going to have a chance of being a first-round draft pick. I'm not saying number one or top five like Panay, but at least some kind of you know, somewhere in that discussion. And maybe they fall to, to a second round, mid, early to, to mid-second round. But nonetheless, they were in that discussion. I don't. That's where I'm at with the defensive line. Is that I think they're, they're going to be good collectively. But individually, do they have that college football superstar caliber guy waiting in the wings? And that's where you're getting real nitpicky here of criticizing this group. And maybe criticizing isn't the right word, but – of looking at it and thinking, is there going to be that future superstar college football player that's a surefire NFL draft pick? And I don't know if there's that guy. I don't either. And I think it's really hard to project because we're looking at very limited snap counts with either true freshman or redshirt freshman to, to kind of go off on there. And I, I guess I, I, I don't know if there is one of those guys. And based upon the short the little – the very small sample size we've seen, I guess Dorless would be the one I feel the best about just because he played in, I think, 10 games last year, whereas the rest of these guys played in, you know, less than four because they all redshirted. Um, and then we've got this true freshman group. So, I mean, I think Jason Jones is the one that people are really excited about from a physical stature perspective. Um, that He probably doesn't even end up playing the same spot as Kayvon. And if we're looking at the guys who we expect to, to push Kayvon behind him this year, it's, it's like an Isaac Townsend. And I certainly don't look at Isaac Townsend. And again, I haven't seen him play, but I don't look at Isaac Townsend and think that kid is going to be one of the 30 right. best players in the 2024 NFL draft or what draft ever draft it is. So I agree with you though. I think there is maybe that lacking of that top tier first round talent there. Um, but at the same time, we don't know how these guys are going to develop. And there's just a lot to me, at least a lot of question marks about that development process. Cause, cause realistically no one really thought Jordan Scott, when he arrived at campus, was A going to start for four years and B going to end up being a guy who will not be a sure. first-round talent, but at least the guy who's drafted? Sure. 100% agree with you. Um, one, let's shift to, I, I think, something that you brought up that was really interesting to me was I, I thought maybe short-term and long-term that the D-line was set up the best within uh, Oregon's roster. You said you, agree, you thought the defensive backs yeah. were better – positioned for short-term and long-term. I'm 100% with you on short-term. I think they're the most uh, talented position group uh, within the Oregon roster from a short-term perspective just because of all the upperclassmen that are back this year um, and all the guys that are starters. I'm curious, what makes you so confident about their long-term future? I I think we've got players – 
and you, you, you pull up a projected depth chart, and of course this isn't finalized, but the second team here, according, and this is kind of something I've been on and off looking at kind of what the two deep would look like. I think you'd look at it and you'd have Mikhail Wright at one corner and this, and I'm going to make a jump here and say Dante Manning at the other corner. That's two of, I think those are the two highest rated cornerbacks Oregon's ever signed. Um, you'd have Verone McKinley, Bennett Williams, probably playing safety. Bennett Williams was a former, you know, freshman all American at Illinois. Verone McKinley right. was a freshman all American last year at Oregon. And then in the nickel spot, a guy like, probably Jamal Hill player. We were really excited about in the spring. I probably feel the least confident about him just because we haven't seen a whole lot of him. I know he played a decent amount last year, but I think you look at those five guys and I go like, I feel really good about the top end talent there. And if you compare that to the defensive line, I don't know if I feel quite as good saying it's going to be like Isaac Townsend at one. Well, I guess Kayvon's going to be at one defensive end spot, Popo at the other. And then I guess Brandon Dorless at the other. I, I don't feel quite as confident about that trio as I do about the other. And maybe I'm overrating the expectations of a guy like Wright and a guy, especially a guy like Manning who we haven't seen yet, but these are elite recruits and talents and Oregon has a bunch of them at a bunch of spots on defense, we should say, because linebackers got a ton too. Um, and, and I guess maybe long-term I, I, you could probably argue linebacker is really where you feel the best just because you've got potentially two five-star starters, another guy that was borderline five-star in FUNA. Um, if he'd been healthy and that's a really talented trio right there long-term as well. But I look at the secondary and think short-term, I think they're the best unit on the team this year. I don't think many people have an issue with that long-term. I think they can be really, really good as well. Um, especially if a player like a Dante Manning and a Mikhail Wright, who we've already seen live up to the billing as top recruits. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into some areas that Oregon can help improve their roster for the 2021 season and beyond all coming up next here on the Hudson Audible's podcast. This is Tony Kornheiser show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm. I don't know. It's a sports show. Nominally football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Pram. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And we kind of assessed a couple of the position groups of why we're so high on um, Oregon's football program short-term and long-term. But also now let's dive into some recruiting discussion as well. Yeah, Matt had some questions for me. I've got some questions for him. Uh, let's start with this one. 
the last Oregon's last verbal commitment and, and they had a string of like it felt like every Friday or Saturday for like I don't know like six weeks it felt like they landed a commitment it might have been more but Oregon's last commitment in the 2021 class was from Christian Burkhalter um, defensive line prospect out of Alabama that was on July 23rd that's about two weeks ago let's say over the next two weeks so this will be a, basically a one-month span since Burkhalter's commitment Matt I'm going to put this on you here. I know you, you do a little bit of gambling here. <laughs> the over-under, if I said it was 0.5 commitments, so you're either basically saying, I think they're going to get a commitment or they're not going to get any. Over the next two weeks, so we'll say from today, which is the 10th through the 24th of August, do you feel like they're going to land zero commitments or do you think that they'll end up taking or landing one or more from that span? Um, that's a good question. And this is a really – you set the odds perfectly. As someone who did not – who who does not really dabble in the waters of, of sports wagering, you did a good job of setting Thank you. the, the line try. here. <laughs> um, I, I look at the – there's a couple of guys I think are close to making commitments. Um, I think Jeffrey Bossa at three-star safety from Utah, if he were to commit to a school in the next couple of weeks, it's going to be for Oregon, I think. And then there's Kingsley – Sua Matia, who has come out and said that he's going to commit soon, but we don't really have like a, a hard line date of when that actually is. Um, but here's the deal. If you, if you had said it at three weeks, I would definitely take someone will commit in three weeks. Um, I am going to say we will see a commitment in the next two weeks, but my, but I, I, I think it may bleed over to three, just barely. And I know that's I, – I, I, we might see Kingsley or, or Jeffrey Bassa uh, pull the trigger here, um, depending on what happens from – you know, the NCAA has already come out and extend, is, is expected to extend the recruiting deadline again for another month. And um, as we're, you know, we're recording this podcast, you know, college football could be getting close to being, you know, postponed to a later – portion of the year um that may speed up some of the commit you know the process of, of guys making their decisions so i'm going to say yes we will get a commitment in the next two weeks boom duck duck, duck faithful loves that <laughs> <laughs> all right second one here um you look at the crystal ball right now and there are really two prospects that oregon is really actively recruiting that they're in strong position for uh, that's wide receiver Dante Thornton, and you mentioned him a second ago as well, offensive lineman Kingsley Suomatia. Let's say, let's just hypothetically say that Oregon lands commitments from both of them. They've been the leaders for a long time for a variety of reasons. That gets Oregon to 20 committed prospects in this class. How would you distribute the final, let's say, two to four to five, whatever that range is that they end up taking, whether it's 22 to 24 to 25, how would you distribute those scholarships I'm not asking for players specifically, but more sure. of what positions would you want to address? Um, with the idea that we're going to see Kingsley and Dante both commit, I think that really kind of secures both of those position groups. Um, obviously, Bryce Foster is still out there along the offensive line, and Oregon would love to have him, but that becomes and it doesn't become a he, he becomes a luxury, not a necessity. Um, in terms of positioning, uh, of adding that type of a player. I, I look at the D-line and think 
Okay, Oregon, this is an opportunity for Oregon to add another one of those, you know, KT type dudes for uh, the defensive line. Do they have a guy that can become a future first round draft pick? And they happen to be involved in two of them that are players who will, who probably will be off into the NFL in three seasons. And JT, Tulamatolo, and also Corey Foreman. Um, both those players are one and two in the national rankings. Both those guys uh, are going to are highly sought after and, and looking strongly at Oregon. Can they get one of them? Um, certainly, likely, possible, high, high good, high probability of that happening. Um, good chance. Can they get both? I think that's possible, but maybe not as nearly as likely as getting one of them. Um, I also think it it would be beneficial for Oregon. And like I said, the previous question, they need a safety. So Jeffrey Bossa would be one. Um, I do think there's something of the notion out there. If, if you can find one, and I don't know if if there really is any out there uh, of any big time running backs, but if, if some guy kind of emerged, that's, a, you know, a future superstar, you know, a freak physically, you know, an athletically gifted player. Um, I would add another running back to the group, just, just to give yourself more options at that position group. Um, and then if I had one more scholarship, if I had, if I had a four, four total scholarships, I would go out and try and find just the best athlete that, that I could find. Um, regardless of position, just, just to find, you know, just, just to be able to go out and say like, maybe it's a cornerback, maybe it's a safety, maybe it's a receiver. Um, I, I think you, you find just the best pure athlete that you can find and add them to the mix. Ideally probably in the, in the secondary, if you really want to hone in on, on the spot, but I look at that, I, I look at this team and think, now you're at the point where just keep stacking dudes on top of dudes. And by that, I mean, I mean, you know, guys who are just physically imposing when they get on the football field, KTs, Penes. Um, previously, uh, when, when you look at some of the offensive linemen, like a Shane Lemieux or Calvin Throckmorton um, or Troy Dye, guys that just, they are, they are better physically and they're better, better skill wise. So if you can go out and find the best guy that's, from an athletic standpoint that you can would, would make a lot of sense. You know, we've talked about a little bit on the show about kind of that lack of knowing who that next great defensive line player is at Oregon. And this question is a little bit of a Debbie Downer because the concept is if Oregon were to miss out on both Corey Foreman and JT uh, to wall, who are some other options on the defensive line? Cause I do think that position probably needs to be addressed in some capacity down the stretch here um some names to know if, if Oregon does miss on the two five stars yeah um I look at this position group and think Aaron Armitage is probably the guy that's next in line that's most likely to commit to Oregon and he is a four-star defensive end strong side defensive end plays the same position as the two guys you mentioned from New Jersey Blairstown New Jersey Long ways to go, but he is strongly considering Oregon was, you know, high on or, uh, USC for a long time. Maybe they were even the, the favorite. Uh, Oregon's made up a lot of ground here. I think 
that would be someone certainly to, to keep your, your eyes on it, how quickly Oregon pivots to full on uh, taking his commitment uh, if, if they miss out. Um, to Wally Savea, uh, defensive end from Desert Pines High School in Las Vegas. He's another four-star guy, plays the same position. Um, that would be one that I would also really track and, and monitor Oregon. You know, it was in a good spot with him and, and has been for a while, uh, but they're waiting on some of the, you know, the, the, the higher ranked guys, obviously, uh, you know, before they really dive in uh, there. Um, another player I, I would consider maybe monitoring um, Jabril McNeil, he's an outside linebacker, but he's a guy that's, you know, got a big frame, pass rusher. Um, maybe he uh, gets, you know, the interest ratcheted up a little bit more um, with the Oregon Ducks, you know, there. Uh, I, I just look at him, though, as an outside linebacker. Oregon's already got quite a bit of um, players at that same position. So maybe he's someone that, you know, Oregon has to sit there and wait and until uh, they know what, what some of the, the bigger fish, if you will, are going to do. But I, I think those are kind of the names to, to really look for and to monitor. Um, there's not going to be a defensive tackle, I don't think, right now. Maybe one emerges down the road. But I don't know if there's a guy that you can literally out there and, and say, this guy's a, a 100% take. Yeah, it seems like a position group where it could be fireworks for Oregon or it, maybe it won't be. But ultimately, I, I think the talent at the defensive line that we spoke earlier, I think it's still there that even if they miss on one of these guys, they don't have that first-round talent like we were talking about necessarily. But there's still so much potential there that I don't think the group is, is going to – I don't want to say they're not going to miss a Corey Foreman or a JT, but I think there's definitely potential for the upside to be very, very high even without both of those or, or one of those guys. Yeah, like I, I look at it as – Obviously, you're, you're, if you could add the number one or the number two player in the country, Pretty good. Uh, you, you kind of want to do that because um, that's going to have a huge impact on this position group. Um, an Oregon defensive line with one of those guys or both of them would drastically shoot up in terms of long-term projections and kind of where that group is, is leaning. But Oregon isn't in a position where it's like, if they don't land one of these, those two players that all of a sudden they are in a huge uh, spot that's going to be difficult to get out of. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place because they don't have depth. Like they're in a perfect spot really, I think, because they look at this position group and say, these guys will make us tremendously better, but we're already pretty good. And so if we miss out on them, yeah, it sucks. And uh, Oregon, will, Oregon will have to adjust and we'll have to adapt and, and really put the pressure on in 2022. But long-term wise, it's like going from an A minus to, to an A plus. Like you're still going to pass and, 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 and get impressive numbers. Okay, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast for this Monday edition. Thank you for listening to the show. We highly appreciate that during these times you can support the show by giving us a like or a review on whatever podcast platform that you listen to us on whether that's itunes spotify uh you can also listen to us on stitcher or google Podcasts. whatever you have giving us a, a review there helps us tremendously so thank you for doing that if you want to go another step and and throw 
you, know, you can su subscribe to duckterritory.com. Remember, we're offering that 50% off an annual membership that goes a long ways in saving you a huge chunk of money. Uh, so you can do that as well. So for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prem, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.